Uh, the reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 32 to 5, verse 11. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully working, powerfully at work in them all, and there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest, brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, And Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the man who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all it who heard about these events. Before the pandemic happened, there was something else that really took Australia by shock. Raise of hands if uh, you remember the bushfires of 2019 and 2020. Good, almost everyone. Now, word spread right around the globe and right around Australia, and the message was powerful. Australia is on fire. You can see some of the headlines. Uh, this doesn't even capture all of them. This message was powerful and it moved the hearts and minds of people in such an important way. People took action. In fact, over $600 million, um, as you'll see in the next slide, over $600 million was brought together from people all over the globe in order to bring this money together and help those in need. This message moved powerfully and brought people together. They brought their abilities and they brought their money. I think this is a big picture about how, uh, particularly through this uh, quote here as well, how people actually really took to this message 
and really were moved. It was a powerful message that brought about a powerful response. And whether it was $5 or $50, as you can see there on average, or $500,000, it was a powerful message that brought about powerful action. And in our reading tonight, if you noticed, something quite similar happens, but it's not a bushfire. And that's not to diminish uh, the events that took place, but it was something much, much greater. It was a life-giving message one about the resurrection of Jesus. And this changed people's heart radically. And it was a message that was bearing eternal consequence. Hearts were radically changed, so much so that caring for those in need became of highest priority. And this was how they thought best to serve the people around them. And it wasn't just to other Christians, but it was everyone. So my hope for us tonight as we unpack this passage in Acts is that we too would hopefully receive from this message of God and that we would be moved towards unity, to have one heart and one mind. And second, that through that understanding, we would know what this grace means that has been given to us and also express this grace towards others. So if you look at your um, sermon outlines there, there's a passage with you there. It begins at verse 32 and it says, all the believers are of one heart and mind. But my question to you is, does the story start here? Let's, let's investigate this together. Let's have a look at how this all started. For those of you who've been here with us right through the start of this series, back in chapter two, we see that the church received this testimony of who Jesus was and all that he had done. And we see the apostles right from Pentecost preaching this message. This truth changed people's lives. It changed how they did everything and how they lived their lives. People turned in repentance to this Jesus, the only name who could save them. And we saw huge exponential growth in the church. Later on in the chapter, we see they were devoted to the teaching. They were committed to meeting together in fellowship, and they did this very often. And I've highlighted this in red, so it's a little bit more obvious. But there's a very similar response happening in our passage today, which took place all the way back in chapter two. And it's that all believers were together and they brought everything they had together. It was a mentality of what's mine is ours. What's mine is not just mine. They sold property and possessions, again, just like we see tonight, and they gave it to everyone who had need. As we then moved into last Sunday, we saw Peter and John, who go to the uh, the apostles, are being released from prison, and at the message of what God had done in the midst of the Sanhedrin, despite the opposition and the challenges that they faced in standing boldly for Christ. We see the church coming together because of this testimony. They come together in unity. And what do they do? They pray together. Again, one heart, one mind. They come together and they ask God, fill us, fill us with more boldness. Help us do the very work that you're already doing with us. 
And as we go into our passage tonight in verse 33, the same thing continues. Isn't that right? With great power, great power, the apostles continued to preach about this Jesus. They testified to the resurrection of this Jesus who died for them and now, because of that, has saved them from the consequences of their sin. And God's grace was powerfully at work in their lives. And we'll unpack a little bit about what this powerfully looks like. So stay with me. I do want to point out, though, this unity was just as much vertical as it was horizontal. It has to go both ways. And it's the vertical relationship that impacts how you treat and how you look at those around you. It's a picture of self-sacrificial service, a giving back to God from everything that God has given them. Believers were united through their personal relationship with Jesus, and so they put their trust in him, clinging not to their wealth, but giving from their wealth back to caring for all those around them. And so they trusted God well over their status or their possessions. You see, again, it's a powerful message that brings about a very powerful response. But I wanna ask you this. Does the message of Jesus and his resurrection seem so powerful to you today? Let's take a moment to think about that. Because I think we get what this message is in here, in our minds but I don't think we're so deeply cut in our hearts. We love what the message is about, yet it doesn't always influence our generosity and our love and our care for those who are in need. And we'll see as we move into this next section how powerful this outward expression of their generosity and love looks like. And I want us to come back to this message, this powerful message of the resurrection. As the church in Acts, as their view of God increases and the magnitude of his power and his presence is experienced every day in their lives, this causes them to behave very differently. Their lives were dramatically changed. And I wonder if that's the same for us even today as we hear the same message every Sunday. And you know, it's not just in Acts that we're told about unity and encouraged to always pursue this. I've got two scriptures here for you there, and this is just two out of many that speak about the same thing, right? 1 Peter 3.8 says this, finally all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And the same message again, right, to the Ephesians. Be completely humble and be gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And you see, it takes every effort to keep the unity. That effort is an effort of our own with the help of the Holy Spirit, but it's an active effort of our own. And that is done through the bond of peace. And for those of you who have been around the Christian circles for a while, if you remember back to Jesus' own high priestly prayer before he goes to the cross, I wonder if you recall what he asked his father. 
He says, God, all those who put their trust in me, may they be one, just as I am one with the Father. You see, it's the same relationship that God the Father has with the Son and the Spirit. That is the same unity that you and I are called to live out every day, and so we make every effort. Only then do we really see the great importance of this message. And so we come together, one heart, one mind. And as we learn and grow in this message, we see and understand this grace that God gives us. And we work powerfully out of that through the help of the Holy Spirit. Something I love a lot about our Christian faith is this. We spend a lot of time to come together. I don't know if you pay attention to the notices every week, but we love to eat. And if you go to any of the other services, there's at least three or four every single time. We love to come together. We love to eat, we go olive harvesting together, we get real with one another in our small groups, in our conversations, and so we pray big prayers, hopefully similar to that we see in Acts. This is community. These are just some examples of how God's grace is powerfully at work in us and through us. But as we look to Acts 4, it goes a little bit further. Luke gives us two strong examples as we move into this section. And so let's read this together. And so from verse 34, that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And this was then distributed to all those who were in need. And as we know from the text, there was no one left in need. That's how radically their hearts were transformed by this message. And we see a very specific example, right? So we see it starts off with all the people are bringing their money, but here's one guy, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. He's very specifically named there, and as we see the patterns right through Acts, the apostles do what Jesus did, and they give him another name, and they call him Barnabas, son of encouragement. And he too sells some land, brings the money, and that money is then dispersed to those in need. And I want us to hone in on this point. This was the reality of how they were already living. It wasn't some new message that came about, but this is how much they were transformed and changed. The church was devoted in every way to love God and love their neighbor. And this action cost them parting from their wealth and parting from their possessions so that there were no needy among them. I wonder if we are moved in the same way. Are we truly growing in unity and love if we neglect those who are in need? I'll take it one step further, especially when we have the opportunity to help. And that looks different to all of us. There's a wide spectrum of how generous we can be. And I think Barnabas is used here quite intentionally because he's not just an encouragement in his giving. As we go through this book of Acts, 
We'll see how he's an encouragement to the Gentile Christians. We'll see him as an encouragement to uh, Paul after his conversion and as he goes on to support John Mark before they go to Cyprus. And all of this is not just to say, oh yeah, this guy's really cool, be like Barnabas. No, I don't think it's just that. I think it's there to show us about character. Barnabas' character is consistent all the way through, despite all the opposition, despite everything going on. And it was a heart that he had and a life that was powerfully changed to serve God in every way, every way. He kept nothing to himself, he gave himself to this work and even his possessions. And this section through Acts continues to remind us, this is all about putting our faith in action, right? In fact, it takes it a step further. But I was thinking, what does this look like for a bunch of uni churches who don't have property to sell? How can we be generous? So I thought, let me investigate this And for those of you who know me a little bit closer, this is what I do for a day job when I'm not a trainee at St. Jude's, I investigate. And so my questioning brought me to an ex-uni churcher who shared this story about an incident here at uni church not so long ago. So many years ago, there was an international student who sat in the seats just here, like many of us, And due to a lot of things that were going on and hardships in their life, they had to go back home. Not down the road, not interstate. They had to go back overseas. And having very little to work with, they brought that need to the minister at the time and said, I don't know what to do, I need your help. And so, this was the message brought here to the people at UniChurch. Friends, whatever you are able to give, Please help. You might call this a miracle. I think it is a miracle. But you see, that miracle happened as a result of what we're about to hear now. So people scrambled together. I don't know what the amounts were, but people put in what they could, enough to get them an airfare and a bit more, and sent their friend back home. You see, these were students like you and I who sat right here. Right? We don't have to think, oh, we have to sell a house to be generous, but it's about our hearts and how we're moved by the message. And I'd like to think that this is a very real example of a uni church experience of an acts for kind of generosity. Coming together, one heart, one mind, moved by the message, and we see this grace powerfully at work. It's not always like this though, is it? I don't wanna brush over what we're about to read in chapter five and it's pretty dramatic stuff. Look with me in your news sheets to chapter five from verses one to 11. Now, a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put this at the feet of the apostles. Well, to me, it looks like they're doing what everyone else does. Aren't they just selling property and then bringing money to help those in need? 
Where did they go wrong? Who were they really trying to please as they conspired together? I think Luke does a very good job in highlighting here, this is an act of giving really motivated by deception. And that's what the passage says. And I think like this couple, Christians struggle with this as well today, both in our giving and in our serving and in our living out as Christians. Sometimes the thought of being seen as uh, a very good disciple of Jesus or appearing to be so overtakes us. And I know I too struggle with this from time to time. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? How have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Didn't this belong to you already? Before you sold it and after you sold it? What made you think of doing such a thing? Peter asked a series of very important questions. And we can see that the Holy Spirit gives him some intuition to bring to light what was really going on. How have you been so deceived in your heart, Ananias? How? How has hypocrisy taken over you? Remember, no one asked them to sell anything, neither God nor the apostles. Generous giving right from the beginning was Christians voluntarily giving of themselves in order to help one another. And we see in a few verses later, when given the opportunity to repent, Sapphira refuses to do so. And we see in both cases, God takes their life right there, right then. Imagine being there and seeing that as an early church, a new church, new Christians, seeing God's judgment fall right there and then. You see, God makes a very serious example of this to all the church in his very immediate judgment. He strikes them dead. It's there in verse five and again from seven to 11. But friends, I want you to hear me out here. This is not me saying that if you don't give generously, God's gonna smite you on your way out tonight. That is not the point. But I do believe that this example is given here to show us how seriously God takes our words and our actions and our lives and our response to this message. God loves obedience. He loves for us to be active in our community. He loves us to serve and give. And we saw these things, right? Be humble, be compassionate, be one, be united. All good things. But here's the warning that I'm gonna repeat to you again. Don't allow Satan to fill your hearts with deception. Don't let him fill you with lies that mislead you or others. And you see, a few hundred years later, something very similar takes place in Rome. In writing to pagan high priest Arsatius, the Emperor Julian, the last pagan emperor of Rome, had this to say about early Christians and their charity. That's how it starts. It is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans, Christians that is, 
support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. And before we jump to the next one, just have a think about that. Here is a Roman emperor who's seeing what's happening, how Christians are living their lives, and his first thought is, we need to do that so we look better than them, right? So let's go to what he then says. As he continues in the same letter, he says, teach those of the Hellenic faith to contribute to public service of this sort. And the Hellenic villagers to offer their first fruits to the gods and accustom those who love the Hellenic religion to do these good works by teaching them that this was a practice of old. Wow. How do you see this? How do you see this when you see the generosity of people? When it's about caring for people, for looking after their needs, and the first thing is tell them that this is what we've always done. And shortly after, he sends lots of grain and lots of wine, and he says, distribute this and make the scene there. Let this be seen. So what? I'm not gonna stand here and ask you, who do you think you're more like in this story? Are you Barnabas? Are you the church? Are you Ananias or Sapphira? That's not my question. And that's not the point of this passage. You see, chapter four, as we started tonight, it's a group of believers and then the specific example of Barnabas, a heart that is so changed by this powerful message, a heart changed that they want to serve people and give generously. And I'm sure this would have been hard for anyone who's had to sell something in order to pay for something else. I'm sure you know what that's like. It's hard to part with your positions. But this is what they saw to do best for their community and for others. It wasn't a, a, a model for communism, but it was coming together to serve one another. Remember, there was no mandate, no rule, no law. And in chapter five is the exact opposite of what's going on here. And we see the same thing in the example of the Roman emperor. And I think this is an apt reminder of what our lives can sometimes look like when we try to flex and say, look at what I've done. I have a seat at this table at the church because I give. I have a seat at this table because I serve. I think these are all the things that can sometimes fill us. And I often ask myself this question. Am I merely a consumer of what the church has to offer me? Or am I responsible as a part of this body to offer what I've been given from God for his glory and for the benefit of all those around me, not just my friends? It's a question that calls for a much more meaningful response. How will you respond to this powerful message of the resurrection of Jesus? Most of us are uni students. Some of us work part-time. Some of us might have recently gone into full-time employment. And I know I can see a few heads here, young at heart, probably been in the workforce a bit more than a few years. But 
for the majority of us. What does this look like for us? I remember the conversations that I had with myself as a student. What is it that I can really do now? Are my $2 really gonna make a difference? Right? But one day, one day when I earn, when I start getting my first paycheck, then, then I'll be generous. Then I will try to help all those who are in need. And I think, again, God did have to do a bit of work in my heart to change that mentality. But I think that's a lot of us here tonight. What can I do? I'm just a student. We've got wealthy people in our church or wealthy people in our community. Let them do that work. And again, it's not about that. The Bible's quite clear on this and our passage has given us two different responses. Where's your heart at? How will you respond? And again, I'm not here to coerce you or to mandate that you have to start giving or else. God didn't instruct the apostles and I'm not gonna tell you to do that either. Right? But there might be one day that God might ask you, like the man in Matthew 19, to go and sell everything. That's not for everyone, but maybe, maybe he might. How will you respond to that? And remember, it's not the value of what you give either. It's not the value of your generosity, because if you think back to the poor widow in Mark 12, all she had was two coins. But Jesus said there's so much more in what she is giving than those around them who were judging. And if we rewind back to a few months ago, I don't know if you remember Sam and Larissa speaking about giving here at church and what it looks like for all of us to be a part of this community together. And about giving, they said this, and I still remember this very clearly. And it was, the habits we form now are the habits that will continue on after this. And so we give cheerfully because God has given this to us. And remember, it's always a matter of the heart. So as I bring this to a close, I want to sort of shake you up a little bit more, and I want to give you a few questions and some practical things to think about as we think about how we do this as a church together. So I started tonight with a reference about the bushfires, and I mentioned how this message was clear and it brought about a powerful response We saw two more important responses in our text tonight to a much more important message, one that is about your life and your eternity. And we see this is because of the uh, the testimony of Jesus right through Acts. And I shared with you an Acts 4 example here at UniChurch. And in all of these examples, no pressure, no specific demand. But then I thought, how do we help each other if we don't know? So in order for us to meet the needs of those around us, I want us to think about two things. What is it that we can do that practically helps us help others? So I want you to ask these questions to yourself, not just tonight, but as you think about this. Do we recognize the needs of those around us? And second, this is for those of us who have genuine need. Do you share with your church family when you're in need? And I'm not just talking about finances, I'm talking about everything. 
whether it's your spiritual health, your physical health, your mental health, everything. You see, I don't think need is restricted by money, but it's a big part of it. Here are four pictures to really expand this view of needs represented here where we are. The first one, I'm sure is a very obvious one. I took this before everyone got here. It's empty pews, but these seats are occupied by people every day, sorry, every Sunday, and then sometimes during the other events. I want you to take a second to just look around the room. For the five people that looked, thank you. (laughs) So to those who did turn their heads, behind the smiles that you saw right then, are some real needs that are represented. Lives of people who are longing for a friend, longing for someone to talk to, someone to pray with, and maybe even someone who needs financial help. The second one on the top there, here are our global mission partners. People who St. Jude's have sent out uh, with CMS to do mission work. And they've got needs that we pray about every Sunday. And as of recently, in our small groups. These are people who have gone to do God's work, who need our help. And it's not just them that we're directly helping. When we support them, we support all those who have gone out and that they're serving there. And the, the two photos at the bottom are the two sides of Ligon Street. Sometimes I see this and I see two different sides of life. On one, we've got the busy part of it, Brunetti's, we've got pizza, all sorts of food, hustle and bustle, and on the other side is estates, a community who really, really are longing, not just for financial help, but who need the message of the gospel, this powerful message of the resurrection. Here's my last question for you. How is this testimony of the resurrected Jesus shaping your life your heart and your mind in how you live and how you respond to those in need. So my prayer as we close now is that we may be a church who are united, one in heart, one in mind. That we would be so radically changed by this message of the resurrection of Jesus that we too will be willing to express generosity in every way every way possible with what God has given us, whether it is a little or whether it's a lot. Friends, let's pray. Father, I ask now that you help us. Help us to know you deep in our hearts and would your message cut us so deep that we too would care about those around us. Let your grace continue to powerfully be work in us and through us. And every day would you help us be generous with what you have given us. I pray this in your name.